You're listening to the weekly sermon of Huntersville Presbyterian Church. We're so glad that you're here and hope that through listening to God's word, you will come away refreshed and renewed for what life has to bring you this week. Here's this week's sermon.
Pray with me if you would. Lord, this is your world and uh, all that we have and all that we are are gifts that come from your hand. And so we praise you for that. We give you thanks for that. We thank you for the privilege that you give us to gather here to be able to open your word and to learn from it and, and to experience in it just how much you love us and how you love this world that you created. So for all that, we give you thanks and we do it in your name. Amen. Amen. How's everybody? The, uh, I had, I, I, just before I start the message, I, th I thought I'd share this. Uh, I lost the stool. Oh, well, I'm good. Can I have this one? All right, I'll have this one. It just kind of fits my day. So right before the, the service was about to start, one of you very thankfully, and I'm glad you did this, uh, came up to me and said, hey, uh, Doug, there's a urinal overflowing in the men's room and I uh, need, need a screwdriver. So we got him a screwdriver. Thank you for getting it fixed. We got that done, got a sign posted on it. Don't use the, guys, don't use the first urinal when you go in. Uh, there's a sign you can read. Uh, be able to do that. Uh, walk out of there and Lisa Wilson's standing there in, in the side and she goes, your wife's on the phone. And I'm like, well, why? you know, I, I don't check my messages on Sunday. I never check my messages. Anyway, Kim's on the phone telling me that she has locked her keys in the car. I didn't think you could do that with a push button car, but she has figured out a way to do it. And, um, and so she's home with our, three of our grandkids and, you know, trying to figure out how to get here. And, you know, y'all ever have distractions before you're about to do something? You know, and, and uh, you know, I, uh, I told Kaylin and Patrick, I was walking in, I said, I just want to sit and have a cup of coffee for a minute before uh, the service starts. And so thank you for singing that, Allie, because I needed to hear that uh, kind of coming in. Uh, but pray with me again, if you would. Lord, uh, we, we come to you. And, and sometimes, and, and y'all hear me say this, there's an enemy, Lord, we know there's an enemy who wants to distract us and steal us and, and uh, kill, steal, and destroy and keep us from the life you have for us. And Lord, I believe you've given me a message for today that will lead us toward that kind of life. And, um, and Lord, I think the enemy wants nothing more to distract me and distract us. So for whatever distractions there might be in the room right now, Lord, I pray that you would remove them, take them away so that we could be fully attentive to your word in your truth, and what you would teach us and impress upon our hearts. So open our hearts to receive it, uh, for we ask that in your name, and we ask it for your glory alone. Amen. 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 The, uh, we uh, have a core belief, those of us who follow Jesus, we have this core belief that life is better with Jesus because Jesus makes us better at life. But we recognize that not everyone wants to experience that sort of life. And so we decided, y'all are sitting so far away, I'm just going to come down here. Um, we decided that we wanted to start this year with, with a message series on how to ruin your life. And so if you've been with us since the 1st of January, we have taught you how to live as if there is no God and how to say whatever you want to whoever you want, whenever you want to say it. And we've learned how to never control our emotions and how to, when you fall down, you just stay down and how to just you know, stop learning. And all of those are great ways to ruin your life. Today, I'm going to give you one more way to ruin your life, and this is going to be a refresher course for most of you, because most of you do pretty well with this one already, and uh, some of you do real well with this one. So if you want to ruin your life this year, here's, here's what you need to do. Put all your trust in money. If you want to ruin your life this year, 
Put all your trust in money. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking right now, oh, golly, a money sermon. I hate money sermons. Uh, I, I had a mentor years ago, and every time I teach on money, I can hear his voice in the back of my head. I'd tell him, I said, John, I'm going to be teaching on money this week. And he'd go, oh, so you're going from preaching to meddling. And, uh, and, and that's the way some people feel when pastors start talking about money. And you, some people don't go to church because all the church talks about is money. And, uh, and some preachers, I mean, I, I have friends who hate to talk about money. They just never do. But if you've been around her for a while, you know that I do not mind talking about money. And, uh, and I just don't. I love to teach about money. And, and for a couple of reasons. One, do you know the Bible says more about money than it does any other topic? More than prayer, more than love, more than anything else. The Bible talks about money. Jesus talked about money a lot. And, and I've kind of come to believe that the things that Jesus said are important and we ought to be paying attention to them. And uh, for, for instance, on one case, Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. At the heart of the matter, it is always a matter of the heart. And, and that really is the, the big reason that I, I actually love to talk about money. It, it, it's simply this. It's not about money. It's not about money. Say that with me. It's not about money. Try it again. It's not about money. Say it with the kind of enthusiasm that Bob McCauley felt last night when they made that layup in Clemson. We were fouled on that last play, uh, but they beat us by one point. So that kind of enthusiasm, it's not about money. I, I love to talk about money. I'm driving the people who are watching online crazy, so let me get back up here. Uh, it, it's, um, it's not about money. It's never about money. It's about where do we place our trust? Where are we placing our trust? And if you want to ruin your life, put your trust in money. Because that's a misplace of trust. If you were here last week, we, we talked about the idea that we are not yet who it is that we are becoming. I kind of liked walking around, so I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, <laughs> And, and so the question that we have to ask ourselves, and we need to be constantly asking ourselves this question, is who am I becoming? And, and if you ask that question, if you're not yet who you will be, so you're in this process of becoming, and you ask who am I becoming, that's going to lead you to ask a lot of other questions. Like, like who do I follow? And, and every single one of us, we're following somebody, whether you know it or not. And, and who do I believe? And who do I trust. Because this, this whole message, it's not about money, it's about trust. And, and you have to be constantly asking yourself, who do I trust? Where, where am I placing a trust? Now, when the Bible talks about trust, what it's talking about is this disciplined, confident belief that God really is in control. And, and that God loves me so much that I can trust him to be in control and I can trust him for what is best for me. And what God wants more than anything else is for you to trust him and, and to trust him completely. But God knows that, that all of us, this is true for all of us, all of us have this temptation to put our trust in other things and, and often to put our trust in things that ultimately are, are going to disappoint us and, and ultimately they're going to fail. And so we put our trust in relationships or we put our trust in our own cleverness or our own hard work ethic. And, and a lot of times we put our trust in, anybody want to guess? Money. This is going to be the interactive part, so you all stay with me, okay? Uh, we, we, we put our trust in money. You, you guys all know this. If, um, those of you who are, were born before 2000 and know what cash is, um, every piece of U.S. currency, it doesn't matter whether it's a bill or a coin, every piece of U.S. currency has four words written on it. Y'all know them? Uh, well, well, wait, wait, I was going to do it with you. Okay, so four words. In God we trust. Every piece of currency says that. In God we trust. 
Now, you're in church. I mean, it's a cold February morning and you came to church. So if I were to say, quick show of hands, how many of you trust God? You know where I'm going with this, right? But uh, just play along with me. How many of you trust God? Of course you trust God. We're, we're heading toward Easter, right? How many of you trust that Jesus Christ died on a cross to forgive your sins? So that all of the ways that you have hurt yourself and hurt other people are washed clean and taken away. How many of you trust God? Amen? Amen. Amen. Give me, come on. Amen? Amen. How many of you trust, right toward Easter, how many of you trust that on the third day he rose again from the dead? So that death is defeated and no longer has power over you and me. Death is not the end of our story. Amen? Amen. How many of you trust God enough to take 10% of whatever he gives you and give it right back to him? Believing that the 90% is more than enough to pay all your bills, cover everything you need. Amen? Amen. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all handled it real well. Uh, it, it's really almost ironic that, that we print those four words on our currency in God we trust because most of us, what we actually trust is the money the words are printed on. And, and this is just true, and I've been there. But because what we tell ourselves is if I can just earn enough, well, then things will be okay. I'll be able to pay all my bills. I'll be able to do, manage everything, meet my obligations. Uh, sometimes we get to a stage of life, if I could just save enough, well, then I'll feel safe, and then I'll feel secure. Problem is nobody knows how much is enough how much do we have to earn? How much do we have to save to really feel secure and, and feel like we can put our trust in money? People do. I don't know why they keep doing research on this, but people constantly are doing research on this. And, and every time they do, they come up with the same answer. You know how much money you need to feel safe and secure? A little more than you have right now. Consistently, that's what the researchers come up with. Everybody, doesn't matter what level they may be on, everybody needs just a little more than they have right now. And it's not a modern problem. This isn't something we created in, you know, in, in America over the last couple hundred years. I mean, this, this is a, a problem that's been going on since the beginning of time. There's ancient wisdom in, in the book of uh, Proverbs, and it says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. And, and the key word in that proverb is the word imagine. They imagine that if, you know, I just have enough wealth, if I'm just earning enough, if I just have enough money in savings, well, well then I'll feel safe and then I'll be secure. It's like this wall that'll be around me and nothing can hurt me. Uh, but, but we know that's not true, right? And, and we've been there. You have a kid and, and they start pulling away. And, and they're making bad decisions and they're heading down a wrong path. And there is no amount of money in the world that's going to bring them back. Or the doctor calls, and they've got the test results, and they're not good. And it's not a money issue, it's a cure issue, and they don't have one. Or your marriage is kind of on shaky ground. And, and you'd love nothing more than to the restore the relationship. Money can't buy a marriage. The, the wealth of the rich, they, they imagine it, it's our source of security. We imagine that we can put our trust in money, but it always disappoints us. It always, always fails us. The only place we can put our hope and our trust is in the God who loves us. It's why the New Testament tells us, it says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. And, and they're so uncertain. Uh, let me show you a picture of a church that got this. And uh, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up. Uh, it's the, the second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. If you don't have one, there are some on the right. Let me show you what they look like. Um, there are some on the racks right in front of you. So uh, go ahead and just get one out. Everybody kind of grab a Bible so you can follow along. You know, I love it when you follow along with me. So grab a Bible. Here, here's what's going on while you're finding it. 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in the first 12 verses of chapter 8. Um, here, here's what's going on. Uh, back in Judea, where, which is where Jesus was born and, and where the story all begins, uh, back in Judea, the severe famine has hit. 
And, and it's really impacting people, especially some of the followers of the way. Remember, they weren't called Christians in the beginning. They were called followers of the way. And they have been especially hard hit by this famine. And so churches all across the Roman Empire do what churches do today whenever there's a crisis in some part in the world. They start taking up collections to send support, to send assistance to these people who are living in Judea. And so when, in this chapter 8 of, of the second letter to the Corinthians, we are told about what some of those churches are doing, and then a challenge is given to another church to match it. So here's how the chapter begins, verse 1. Listen, this is the Word of God. Uh, Paul, and Paul is the guy writing the letter. Paul was one of the early leaders in the church, and, and he had helped plant this church in Corinth. Paul says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, not just severe, very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Uh, Macedonian churches, that's in the northern part of Greece. Corinth is, is kind of more south central. Um, again, Paul had, had relationships with both of these churches. Uh, we don't know what the severe trial was that, they are made, that they're facing uh, may have been uh, early kind of form of persecution. I mean, that was starting to show up in the Roman Empire. May have been that they had been through some economic challenges of their own. May have been that they just got too comfortable with their basketball team doing well, and now they got humbled last night, and they're not feeling good. Um, it, it's a bit, but whatever, they're facing this very severe trial. And, and we find the, these things that don't seem to go together in the midst of a severe trial. In the midst of this very severe trial, what it results in is overwhelming joy, extreme poverty, and rich generosity. And in the midst of this severe trial, the result is overwhelming joy, extreme poverty, and rich generosity. You know the most generous time in our nation's history? Anybody want to guess? The time in our nation's history that we gave the highest percentage of our income, back during the Great Depression, back in the 1930s. I mean, these things actually all go together. Overwhelming joy, extreme poverty, and rich generosity. So, verse 3 continues. Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They were begging to give. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. I think you just, can you get the picture? Here are these people. They, they are giving as much as they could possibly give, and then they dig deeper, and they give a little bit more. I mean, that kind of generosity, I mean, it makes people take notice. And, and that kind of generosity can inspire you. And so Paul, Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians, Paul uses it as a way to, uh, to offer them a challenge. So skip down to verse 7. He says, since you excel in everything, you Corinthians, you excel in everything, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in your complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you. You're just knocking it out of the park in all of those things. You're just doing great. See also that you excel in the grace of giving. I love that phrase, the grace of giving. Giving is intended to be a reflection of what Jesus did. Skip down to verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus is the ultimate expression of this grace of giving. This picture of a God who loves you so much that he doesn't hold anything back. He gives himself completely even sacrificially on a cross. And, and, and not out of obligation, but, but out of joy and love. Uh, one of the early letters uh, to the church, one written to the Hebrews said this, it says, for the joy that was set before him, that Jesus endured the cross. This grace of giving, God's gift toward us is entirely motivated by his love for us. And, and so Paul says, hey, listen, I need to challenge you guys in Corinth. And, and here's the challenge for you. 
Uh, verse 10. Uh, here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. In other words, you started so well. So verse 11, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, again, the heart, if the heart is there, at the heart of the matter, always a matter of the heart. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one has, does not have. Listen, don't, don't miss this. When, whenever we talk about giving, it, it's not about the amount. No, God, I, I don't care about the amount. God doesn't care about the amount. It's a matter of a heart. It's all about the attitude of your heart. Now, I think God has established an amount as a kind of a target for us, kind of a, a standard for giving and uh, for us to learn how to trust him. M money's just something that God came up with to teach us how to trust him. And, and God knew that, it, you know, the amount had to be kind of a right amount to, for us to learn trust. And so in the Old Testament, God sets the, the, the standard at 10%. Whenever you hear the word tithe, tithe means 10%. Sometimes people get confused about that. They think anytime they give a gift, they're giving a tithe. Tithe is when you give 10%. And, and Jesus reaffirmed that 10% in the Gospels, and so I believe that's still God's standard. But it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It, it's about the attitude of the heart. And, and when your heart is in the right place, when you have a willing heart, that's when, that's when you experience this, your eager willingness. I love that. I mean, you just, you just giving is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. And, and it's this eager willingness to do it. It's matched by your completeness. And, and you don't just raise your hand and say, yeah, I trust God. I mean, you actually trust God. And, and you follow through. And, and, and that trust gets lived out. And it's interesting, when you read this description of the Macedonian churches, you know, what becomes real clear is they're not giving because they have a lot of surplus, you know, laying around and they can't figure out what to do with it. But they're also not giving out of guilt. They're not giving so God won't smite them in, in some way. They're not giving as kind of, let's make a deal with God. Maybe if we give, he'll get us out of this severe trial. They're just giving out of grateful hearts. They're giving because they've discovered that generosity, it really is a key to a life that's truly life. They're giving because they believe what Jesus said, that there's more blessing in giving than there is in receiving. And they're giving because they trust God. They trust him. They, they trust not only did Jesus die for their sins so that their sins are forgiven, and not only did he defeat death so that death no longer has power over them, but they trust that God is also involved in the everyday, ordinary parts of their life. They, they trust him completely. And so, I mean, here's this question that, you know, I've had to ask myself, and this is a question you've got to ask yourself. Do you trust God like that? I mean, do you trust him? Do, do, do you trust him enough to be generous with what he's entrusted to you. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, 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 I know. I mean, that's good stuff. Get it? It's in the Bible. I've heard a lot of it before. But, Doug, that's not the way the world's economy works. I mean, it's not algebra, calculus. I mean, this is just a basic arithmetic. You know, I've got so much money each month, and if, you know, if I subtract, if I give too much of it away, I won't have enough. I mean, this is, this is just simple math. And you are absolutely right. Everything I am saying is not the way the world's economy works. But I'm not talking about the world's economy. I'm talking about God's. And, and I'm not talking about things that are natural. I'm talking about things that are supernatural. And, and here's the way things work in God's economy. The more you give, the more you have to pay your bills and to live on and, and to be generous with. But the more you give, the more you receive. And what you discover when, when you start kind of living in God's economy instead of the world's economy is that you cannot outgive God. In fact, he dares you to try. You cannot outgive God. 
listen, I, I know that. Gosh, it sounds like preacher talk, doesn't it? Amen? Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable walking around like this. Um, and, and I know what a scary step of faith it is to trust God to that level. And I know because I've been there. And, and, and some of you have heard me tell my story, but I don't have, it's the only story I got. So uh, you just got to hear it again. And, uh, and let me share it. And, uh, Kim and I were 22 years old when we got married. Way too young, by the way, to get married. And, uh, the, uh, and when we first got married, uh, well, back in the 80s, we were what we called in the 80s dinks. Anybody remember what a dink is? Double income, no kids. And it's good being a dink. Uh, we, we were dinks, double income, no kids. Kim was a, a teaching school, and I was just starting my career as an architect, and we were doing okay. I mean, we had money and resources kind of cover stuff, and we'd gotten involved in a church, and uh, we, we had some money to give to the church as well, you know, so we, we were feeling kind of pretty good, you know, about that. And then about four years into our marriage, we have our first child, so we're 26 years old, and uh, we decided we wanted to make some lifestyle changes, that God was calling us to make some lifestyle changes a, as a family, and, and those lifestyle changes were going to drastically change our financial picture. And, uh, and we were going to go from two incomes to one income, and, uh, and, uh, but we decided just step of faith that we were going to do it. That's, that was God, what God was calling us to do as a family. Uh, you know, in, in that season, uh, we had acquired a little bit of debt, not a lot of debt, but a little bit of debt, but, but just enough to put a strain on the finances. And we would, uh, you know, we'd gone from two incomes down to one, and we had financial commitments that were based on two incomes. And so kind of putting a budget together became this really, really hard thing to do. And, uh, and a lot of nights, I'd sit at the kitchen table, and, and I'd love, I love legal pads. I, just, I mean, I love yellow legal pads. And I'd just start working on the legal pad, trying to make the budget work. You know, we got to pay the mortgage, and, you know, we got car payments, and we got, you know, utilities, because they'll, you know, they will turn the water off. And uh, you got a baby in the house, not a good thing. And, uh, you know, you're trying to make the budget work, and, uh, and no matter how hard I tried, y'all know the saying, there's just too much month at the end of the money? I mean, no matter how hard I tried, there's just too much month at the end of the money. And, uh, and, and I felt like we had moved from being dinks, double income, no kids, to being sinks, single income, needy kid. And, uh, and we were sinking and sinking fast. And, uh, and it was paying, a, I was paying a price for it. I mean, I was worried and I was anxious. And, and it put a real strain on our relationship. I mean, every fight we ever had, I think, was about money. And, uh, you know, the financial mess, it just seemed to be getting more and more complicated, and I, I didn't see a way out of it. But every night, I'd sit down with that yellow legal pad, and I'd try to figure it out. I love numbers. And I'd sit down with that yellow legal pad, and I'd try to figure it out. I just couldn't make it work. Just could not make it work. The, uh, uh, <laughs> then we had another kid. <laughs> I figured that out. Um, uh, we, 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 we're part of a church, and uh, we... Uh, we, we joined a small group. They were doing this financial study. It's kind of like the financial piece one we offered. is a di one by a different name, but kind of same principles and uh, things that went on with it. And, uh, you know, when I took the class, and I'd heard it all before. You know, I'd heard God say, you know, bring the first fruits into the storehouse and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. I mean, I'd heard all the promises. I mean, I knew all that. I mean, if you hang around any church for a while, you hear someone say that. I mean, once a year, at least once a year. Even pastors who don't like to talk about money, at least once a year will teach on it. And so, I, you know, I knew all that, but we're taking this class. And uh, in, in my way, it just wasn't working. I mean, it just wasn't working. And, and maybe some of you are like this. For, for me, sometimes I have to get to the end of my rope before I'll try something different. And, uh, and so I said, you know, maybe we ought to try God's way. And, and I remember telling Kim, it's not going to work. Kim had a whole lot more faith than I did. Uh, she still does. Um, but uh, so she was really willing to do this. But I, you know, I, I'll be honest. Uh, I don't know if I ever told her this. Ho hope she's not listening. Um, the, uh, I, I was partly doing it just to show her that God's way wouldn't work. You know, like, I'll show you. <laughs> okay, we'll do it God's way. You want to you, you see how it works when you do it God's way? Doesn't work, I promise you. I've been running the numbers on the legal pad before I knew how to work an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, 
and, and it's not going to work. But, but we'll take a step of faith and we'll do it. And, I, and, and we decided, we prayed about it, and we decided, hey, let's not take a baby. Let's just go all in. God says 10%. We'll take 10%. And, and people get caught up in the 10% thing. Is it net or is it gross? Is it pre-tax dollar? You know, how do you do it? We just took whatever the, the deposit slip said and moved the decimal point over one. And we started writing that check first and giving it back to God. Huge step of faith. Scared to death to take it. Did not believe that. I actually thought I would prove the point that it doesn't work. And from that moment on, we have never worried about money again. In surprising and in sometimes miraculous ways, God has met every need we've ever had. We have not gotten rich. We did not get rich. You cannot outgive God, but it is not a prosperity gospel. It is not a scheme to get rich. Well, if I want to make a million, maybe if I gave God, you know, 100,000, you know, 10, I mean, just, it's, it's not a way to get rich. Because it's not about money. It's never been about money. It's about trust. You see, here's what really happened. When I discovered, and I, I tell you, I discovered, I didn't know this. When I discover I could trust God with something as ordinary as money, you know they print more of that stuff every day. I mean, it's, it's just something that's ordinary money. If I could trust God with something as ordinary mo as money, well, maybe I could trust him with other things, like my marriage or my kids or, or, or my career. See, it's not about the money. It's never been about the money. It's about trust. Do I trust that God's way to manage my money really is better than my way? Do I trust that not only did God forgive my sins and defeat death, but that God could provide for my every need? Do, do I trust God enough to take him at his word? Listen, I, I, I tell my story whenever I talk about money like this because I, I just want you to know I've been there. I mean, I'm just not standing up here talking in theory. I mean, and, and, and there, I thought I should say this too, there have been times, that's 30, about 35 years ago that we made that decision. There have been times over those 35 years where we faced some tough situations, and it's tempting sometimes in those to go, hey, you know, God will understand if I skip this month. You know, we had something unexpected happen. God, God, God you know, God, God, and, and he will. I mean, God's love for you is not dependent upon your obedience or, or your faithfulness. But we've always resisted that temptation. And God's always proven faithful. Always, always proven faithful. It's not, it's not about the amount. It's not about, it's not about money, right? It, it's about trust. If you want to ruin your life, put your trust in a relationship or put your trust in your own cleverness or put your trust in something as uncertain as money. But if you want 2024 to be your best year yet, put your trust fully in God and let money just be one of the ways that you express it and one of the ways that you learn how to trust him. Now, that's why he created it in the first place. Again, I, I don't know how many times I can tell you. I, I know how scary that step is. I had to take, I've taken it myself. But I, I got to tell you, here's what I promise you will happen. You start learning to trust God this way. You, you will experience a peace. If you've ever worried about money, you, if you start trusting God this way, you'll experience a peace. Like, like, like Jesus calls it a peace the world can't comprehend, a peace beyond understanding. It's that kind of peace that you experience um, in, the, in the middle of the storm. It's that sort of peace that, that trusts that God really is in control. And, and that his love for me is more than enough. And, and you'll experience joy. I love how the Macedonian churches are just had this overwhelming joy. You'll experience joy. There's, uh, uh, you know, in, in all the years I've been doing ministry, I have never met a, uh, a generous person that wasn't joyful. 
I I know a lot of stingy, rich people. They're usually pretty grumpy. I have never met a generous person that's not joyful. I think it's why the the Bible tells us that God loves cheerful givers. I mean, when 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 giving and and generosity and and joy, they're just all connected to one another. And trust grows, our our joy grows as well. You you start, the the more you give, the, the, the more peace you'll experience. The more you give, the more joy you'll discover. And the more you give, the more you will learn to trust God. And that's what it's about. It's not about money. It's about, can I trust God with my marriage? Can I trust God with my kids? Can I trust God with this health issue I'm facing? Can I trust God with the way the economy's going? Can I trust God with how my job's taking place? Can I trust God for my surgery tomorrow? Can I trust God for, you know, everything that's happening in my life? It's not about money. It's about trusting God. So, like, like all these ways to ruin God, it is entirely up to you. Entirely up to you. You get to decide. If you want to ruin your life, keep misplacing your trust. But if you want 2024 to be your best year yet, well, <laughs> live knowing that there is a God who loves you. Use your words wisely to, to build up, not, not to tear down. Choose wise companions to travel this journey of life with. Learn how to control your emotions. Let them inform you, not direct you. When you fall down, get back up again and keep going. Keep learning more and more about this God who loves you and put your trust in him. If you'll do those things, I mean, you might discover, you just might discover that 2024 really will be your best year yet. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for loving us and thankful you for your faithfulness toward us, even those times when we struggle to to be faithful in response. Lord, we want to trust you more. We want to trust you more. As our kids sang for us last week, it's so sweet when we trust you, Lord. Uh, We don't want that just to be words in a song. We want that to be the expression of our lives so that we can experience this better life that you have made possible for each and every one of us if we would simply trust you. So help us to trust you with things as ordinary as money so that we can trust you with the things that really matter. And we pray all that. We do it in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Huntersville Presbyterian Church. Here at HBC, we believe that life is better with Jesus because Jesus makes us better at life. If you're looking for a church to call home, we would love to share his life with you. To learn more about us, or if you'd like to give online, visit huntersvilleprez.org.